Welcome to Queer Longing, a podcast where we discuss and explore everything that we're longing for and living for in our queer community. I'm Olivia Taylor. And I am Lucy Cecil. Ah, Hi. Hi. So um, we went away for like six weeks, we realised. Um, so sorry about that. But um, we... <laughs> it, was our, it was our late summer break. Yeah. yeah. You know, like one of those... Like, everyone, everyone has a late summer break, right? Yeah, they do. They do. Actually, I think it's quite normal for this specific season to be like when podcasters take a bit of a break and then come back so actually we're just doing the right thing yeah I feel like a lot of the podcasts that I listen to on the regs are on a break at the moment so we're just in line with the big hitters yeah we're just you know following the the, the status quo exactly <laughs> we're, we're we're part we're part of that um but yeah it's gone so quickly and um it's nice to be back and I know that we say that every time but um yeah I can't believe that the time's gone so quickly I think when we last left you we were about to celebrate Manchester Pride which was at the end of August so oh my god time has moved on um how was your pride lucy yeah it was so good um i mean that seems so long ago now uh but it was a really really nice time wasn't it and we had a whole lovely day in the village it was really hot which was great great weather um we had a really lovely time in the village of our mates we saw did some outside stuff with outside the village stuff with some other mates oh the only sad thing is though we were supposed to go to poptastic and got cancelled didn't it yeah because like the roof the roof the roof was caving in um which which was something that was um dangled over our heads no pun intended the previous year as being like um a, a mild peril factor yeah um but i can't believe that since we went in 2019 and it was being fl- and it was flooding as we were there, it, that has not been fixed to 2021. Well, I guess they wouldn't have had the catch. No one was going to the clubs. Shit, shit. And we really wanted to go. So um, yeah, it was it was, and only found out like mere hours before we were about to go because um, I was trying to get another ticket for another person who turned up, and um, and then was like, it says it's cancelled, and then had this email being like, sorry, cancelled due to flooding, and I was like, what? yeah, no comms, oh, no. no comms. But um, so we hope you're okay. Um, that venue, whatever it's alter, called, it was called Alter Ego back in the day. I don't know if it still is. I think it's called Night People. Times they are a changing, um, but yeah, I was really looking forward to that because I felt like I really needed to dance to pop because yeah. that's my personality. But we did get that very good um, Carly Rae Jepsen run away with me moment for our friendship. Um, yeah, thank you. Um, I was really worried then that you did not remember, and then the lights came back on and you did remember. <laughs> thank God. Yeah, there's other stuff I don't remember, but I remember that bit. Yeah, yeah that was good. that was quite early doors, and I felt like we really needed that for yes. for our lives and for our souls and for our friendship so i'm pleased that that happened but yeah um we're yet to experience um the full throttle energy of like a pop night out because i guess a lot of the nights that we've been to and the night that we ended up at for manchester pride was curiosity again so um that is obviously like poppy but also it's like acts and stuff which was brilliant and we actually saw victoria scone um who was revealed in the intervening weeks is one of the contestants on rupaul's drag race uk season three and um, that's shaping up to be a really great series again are you uh, watching lucy it is um i am watching uh put the put the first ep on when it came out on that thursday and was just instantly thrilled to be back in the mix of it just oh it just, it just cuts different doesn't it like yeah. it's just so good um yeah very pleased with it are you enjoying it as well i am enjoying it um favorite so far enjoying theresa may very much I cannot tell you how much me and Izzy and Adam laughed at her entrance line. Don't hate me because I'm beautiful. Hate me because I'm an immigrant. I, mean, <laughs> I just, I, I can't even like say it without like beaming. It made me laugh so much. It was so, so good. Um, and yeah, she's just been brilliant ever since. Like very good. I like to like identify who's like the best on the like talking heads, who I like to hear on the talking heads. And she's definitely up there. Like it was taste last year. And I was like worried, well not last year, last season, but I was yeah. like worried like, there's no taste what what's going to happen mm. but someone always steps forward and um, at the moment for me it's Theresa May yeah I I agree very strong very strong contenders this year and it was great to see Victoria Scone perform she's very good and um yeah I'm really enjoying it again this year but we always knew we would because like you say it just it hits different doesn't it so um a very good pride was had by all um we've been we've been away a bit you've been away I've been away yeah yeah absolutely yeah went to Wales for a week you've been to where have you been you've been to the lakes have you been anywhere else in that time um no i think didn't you go to wales and then i went to wales i don't know oh 
God knows. It's been a long time. But um, yeah, we've had some nice little family breaks, friend breaks, etc. Um, yeah, and just, you know, time has been flying. Uh, and, you know, lots has been happening. And also not a lot has been happening. So... Um, yeah, but we are, you know, when we say that it feels good to be back, we, that bit we're not lying about. We do love to be here and talking to you. And it's only because of other commitments that we don't do this as much as maybe we should. But, yeah. yeah, but I think I think now we've sort of gotten our ducks in a row, but after our late summer break, which we always knew we were going to take and we yeah, communicated to you all scheduled. very clearly. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and we are, um, funnily enough, on our 99th episode. We are 99. Oh my god. The big 99. Can you believe that next time we put a podcast out, we lived on a hundred of these? That's like probably, god, about, I would say, 170 hours of us talking about things that we're living and longing for. Shitting hell. Like, that is amazing. Nobody needs that. (laughs) Well, somebody needs that. (laughs) Hopefully. I think more more than anything, I think we need that. And that's, like we've said, we've called this our vanity project before. And we're not going to stop now. Like, if this isn't for us, who is it for? Yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> and you know, if you if you enjoy some of it, it is um, it's a bonus. But yeah, um, I can't believe it's ninety nine episodes, and that is brilliant. And hope that you'll join us in celebrating a hundred episodes of Queer Longing next week. Um, if there's anything that you know you want to um, see from us, any old bits of old episodes, or um, any bits that you want us to do or go over again, or just anything that you want to see from the hundredth episode then please drop us a line via all of the usual channels because as we've said before on previous episodes this isn't just our podcast it's your podcast too so you know get involved tell us what you would love to hear and we will endeavor to provide the goods um so that's kind of where we are and where we've been over the last couple of weeks and for the 99th episode um it's going to be just as special as the 100th because we actually have a special guest joining us this week don't we lucy we do we're going to be joined in a little bit by Rhiannon Styles, who we had a great chat with, um, speaking about her new book. So we will um, go to that chat in a bit, but um, we're so, so pleased that she came on to talk to us. And um, yeah, I hope that you're looking forward to that chat. It's a good one. So stick around for that. But in the meantime, you know, because we want to we want to keep it, you know, structured as it always has mm, been, mm, flawless, mm. right? So um, we don't want to miss any of our top segments. So I just want to know, Olivia, what are you living and longing for this week? Well, I'm so glad that you asked, Lucy, for the 99th time. <laughs> and... Um, what well, else? no, probably the whatever half of 99 is. Oh, yeah, that's true. 40, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> math sucks. Math it? fucking sucks, I can't do it. Um, yeah, so um, what I am living for this week, Lucy, is um, it's quite a recent living for. It'll probably be unsurprising to you. It's May Martin trolling me through their performance of SAP, which is their brand new um, comedy show that they started touring and actually the first um, part of the tour was in Manchester yesterday which will be about a week or so ago by the time this this comes out and um, I was actually meant to see it with my girlfriend but she wasn't very well so Lucy was drafted in um, hey, podcast girlfriend wins again with the free tickets so um, <laughs> thank you Laura <laughs> you, Lucy Lucy snagged snagged the deal and um, she came along to chaperone me through the experience and um it was it was funny because um basically you know like i think that not all comedians are really into audience participation as a yeah. as a thing but may martin's comedy is like really collaborative and quite sort of open to interaction from the audience and that was like a a, a big part of it i'd never seen them perform before but that's like definitely um a point of difference from when i've seen other comedians who just like don't really do that and they sort of deliver quite a scripted show and and they're a lot more sort of loose in how they definitely. um structure it and stuff which made it really fun um especially when they perform that play yes um, so good <laughs> so basically like the audience just had to like say a load of bits and then they just like perform this one person play off the cuff and it was very funny and stupid but also clever but um won't give you any spoilers in case you have um got tickets to that as well but in the beginning they were doing like the usual bits where they ask you know is anyone from here is anyone from there and you know they have a bit of back and forth with the audience and then they asked if anybody was from canada and no one was saying yes really like well I don't think anyone was no I well I know yeah. so so I don't think anyone was and but I, then I felt like you know well clearly they want to do some kind of bit about yes. this and I don't really although I would say yes I'm I'm from Canada I wouldn't really say that I'm like Canadian yes, in yeah. in a in a sense yeah. like I, I do and I don't it's one of those it's one of those not 
like 100% defined Definitely. things, um, I suppose. But I felt that it would have been better if it had gone to somebody who was actually like... Full on Canadian. Full on Canadian and like yeah. knew all the references, yeah. knew all the bits because I haven't lived there for a long, long time. Um, obviously. Um, and so I was like, oh God, like no one's saying anything. And I was like, I could just like not say anything, but I just thought, oh, like why not? Like we'll see what happens. Cause like I am, kind of, I am from there. So um, I was like, oh yeah, woo. And then they like couldn't find me for ages yeah. and they were like trying to, but because I was on the balcony, I think they got like confused with where the sound was coming from. So I ended up having to just like shout, like, I'm on the balcony! You, which, you, like... You went, I'm up here! And they were like, oh, that's helpful. <laughs> no, no, you didn't even say up here. You said, I'm here! Yeah. <laughs> and they were like, great, cool. And then you were like, I'm on the balcony! Um, and I think, like, it came across as, like, a lot more, like, aggressive yes. than maybe, like, yeah. it it needed to. And then they were like, oh, my God, are we in a fight? <laughs> Jeez. And I was like, oh, fuck. And then... Um... <laughs> and then it was just really peak because then... Then what happened was like, what sh- what was always going to happen, which was that they were going to like ask me questions about being from Canada. Where was I from in Canada? And I was like, Toronto. And they were like, Toronto? Because obviously if you're actually from Canada, you'd, you'd never say that, you'd say Toronto. But like I, well, you'd say it in a Canadian accent, but like <laughs> I can't do that in the same way as how I can't say bruschetta because I just like can't do that. Um, <laughs> like I could not, I could not do that. So... Um, <laughs> So it was very hard for me. And then I was like, how am I going to like explain my whole backstory? Like, yeah, you weren't on a first date with them. So it wasn't like you really could like basically yeah. say on the So it was, like, it was like literally, it was a very odd. It was like literally me, yeah. May Martin, 600 people. <laughs> I'm on a balcony there on a stage, like half a mile away. And I'm trying to like explain what has gone on with me for the past yeah. 31 years that has led to me to having this very British accent and not really like knowing or having much affinity with anything yeah. in Canada or Toronto. And so what what then came out of that was that I just got trolled for the entire performance. And whenever anything came back to Canada, May would be like, Olivia knows, so she doesn't care though. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And that, like, I was painted as, like, this, like, very aggy, like, anti-Canadian um, person. Yeah, Canadian <laughs> in the in the crowd, which is not the case. I love Canada, but, um, yeah, it just, like, became, it just became this thing. And it was, it was quite funny. And you were absolutely living for it. I was living for it, so. I was living for it, too. It was, it was very good. Yeah, I am, um, I, I, I welcome a good human troll, so, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, we like a good troll. Yeah, that's yeah. that's fine. They were using they were using their powers for good mostly, um, and then I tweeted them and, I, and they liked it. So I feel like we're best friends. Yeah, I think so. I think that's your Canadian best pals now. So yeah, yeah good work, good work. I'd I'd say so. So I was living for that, and it was really nice to be out um, seeing some comedy. I thought May's performance was really good. I also really enjoyed the sport act Jack Berry, um, who, if you are interested, he's actually in Feel Good playing himself. You'll probably remember his marijuana outfit that yeah, he wears he, he plays like may's best mate who's who's also a comedian who's like in love with may yeah 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 you'll know if you seem feel good yeah, yeah yeah he was brilliant he was very good he very was very funny. good and he's playing at the frog and bucket in manchester i think quite soon so if you're interested in that or you were at the may gig and you needed to be reminded of that then um then check that out so i was living for that and I think I'm longing for sort of off of what we just said. I feel like we've, you know, we've, we've gone out, we've made forays, but I haven't had like some sustained pop dancing experiences. You know, we've, we've done bits. We went to um, an audience with Sean Fay last week, which was brilliant. Um, talking about um, her new book, um, which was highly anticipated. Her hair was looking as glossy as ever. Oh. She, like Sean okay and I know that we've waxed lyrical about Sean before but she is the woman like yeah she is absolutely woman of the moment she is the woman and basically any thought that I've ever had I just want Sean to put her hand into my brain scrabble around fish it out put it into her own brain and just say it in the way that only Sean can say it. Yeah, yeah. Like funny, erudite, just just so brilliant at forming sentences and um, landing a point so effortlessly. And she's so just kind of um, composed and witty and um, 
all the things that I want to be all the time and I only ever am maybe like 1.5% of my oh, life. Oh no, I'd say 6.5%. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> but she just has it down. Oh, she absolutely does. She was amazing. So like, um, just... I found myself so like captivated by, you know, when she was speaking and um, yeah, she just is incredibly eloquent, but also really funny. And she was saying how she likes to do live events because it reminds people of how funny she is. Like, cause obviously she writes about quite a lot of serious things and, and writes in a very serious and very, uh, you know, uh, professional way about a lot of stuff, but is also a very funny just person. Yeah. So um, it was really, really great to see her live. And um, yeah, that was a lot of fun. And I'm really glad we, we went to that. And, and, it, and as we say every single week, basically, Drop the hair care routine, Sean. Drop it now. We need to know. We need to know. Like, which Olaplex is it? (laughs) Yeah, I've got most of the Olaplexes, but I can't have the one that Sean has because otherwise (laughs) I'd be in another dimension hair-wise. So thank you so much. That was brilliant. Well, what else have we done? What other bits have we done adjacent to that? Anything? Uh, Well... No, you and I have been quite separate actually for these past six weeks, which is part of like, you know, why we haven't done this. And um, it's actually been quite upsetting <laughs> to, be, <laughs> to be apart for so long. Um, I think, you know, it wasn't on purpose. We, we're fine. We're not, we're not in a fight like no. you and May. But... No, we're not, we're not in a fight. <laughs> but like, um, we actually haven't done that many bits together because we've just been so busy and like, you know, I went on a family holiday and blah, blah and stuff. So um yeah, no, I mean, but yeah, we did Pride and then we did Sean and now here we are. And yeah, what what you're longing for, I believe, is what I'm longing for, which is, like you said, we are due and we are overdue a proper pop night out, especially because we had the one cancelled at Pride. Um, and we are both absolutely gagging for and cannot wait for the fact that we will be going back to our alma mater. <laughs> Dempsey's uh, in the next couple of weeks. Um, actually, when this comes out, we will have been, won't we? Yeah, and yeah. if and if you are one true listener, um, yeah. which I hope I hope you are, but if you're not, just go back through the archives and you will hear. There are us... ninety eight other episodes for you to listen to. Every single one we talk about Dempsey's. I I would have thought it must come up at least. I'm going to say 98% of the time. Yeah, I would yeah. say, I would say reasonably. And if you want to go for like a very like Dempsey's heavy episode, which really lifts the lid on what the, um, what the experience is like, then please go back to our interview with Laura Kay when we talked to her about the split, because she features um, a kind of pseudo Dempsey's in her book that she calls Tom's. Um, <laughs> um, but it, it definitely 100% is Dempsey's and she has verified that fact for us on the podcast. Yeah. So um, it is a club that's in Sheffield that um, was very much part of our formative years. And we want to be part of our current years but we haven't been back for about two years so um we're gonna make that happen um next week and go and stay with our friends and um enjoy all of the spoils of sheffield basically yeah i cannot wait to buy and hand you three vs's for five pounds i probably like seven pounds now so i can't wait to receive them and i'm quite happy to pay the two pounds surplus charge to uh be back in the habit take all my money (laughs) take it all you deserve it um yeah very 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 excited for that so that is our joint longing isn't it so what are you living for this week lucy so i'm living for i mean um it's it's sort of on the theme of the fact that you know we've been doing a bunch of bits but these are some of the bits that i've been doing um separate to you which is you know sad but there's a couple of things i've done which are like the first of a thing post pandemic which i hadn't done before uh, which i hadn't done before which i hadn't done yet mm. um so i have been to my first gig since uh, the pandemic um i've actually been to two now so i went to see squid in um leeds and actually went to see them at the brudenelle which i would never been to which is like you you've know, never been to the brudenelle i know isn't, oh. that, isn't that criminal yeah it's criminal yeah a crime so, has been committed brudenelle is an amazing yeah, venue in leeds and it's like it's my dream venue it's like an old working men's club it's exactly what i want from everything yeah it's wonderful um yeah and we went we went in um is oh, it adam... bikini kill there yeah i know you did um is izzy and adam had bought me these tickets to see squid for my birthday um and then we were like oh yeah looking forward to it and we went um and i walked in and i was like excuse me i was like I ha- this is ridiculous i haven't been here before like it's so me and we we're having a pint um before the gig <laughs> and um we were like Adam was like, oh, I hope they're in like the the old room because there's an old room and like a new room. Mm. Um, and then I was like, oh shit, that they're not. They're in the they're in the second. They're in the like the the other room because like they had like two posters for who was on in which. And I was like, oh, in the in the um in the old room is um some band called Tom Jones. And then Adam was like, oh, isn't it? I was like, oh, do you think that's he was like, oh, do you think that's like just, you know, like some stupid like kids who have called themselves Tom Jones? Like they think it's really funny. And I was like, yeah, it's going to be in it. Um, and then he looked up and he was like, guys, it's 
Tom fucking Jones. Yeah, I I, I knew about that. Actual Tom Jones. Yeah. And me and Izzy are huge Tom Jones fans. Izzy's like a massive Tom really? Jones fan. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was she was besides herself that we were not seeing Tom Jones. And what was so brilliant was that the night was called A Night at the Brudenell, Night with a K. <laughs> And, um, but what we could do was he was already on and you they had these like, like heavy security on the doors like making sure no one could like get in there but it was like there was this vestibule before the room which you could like walk through to get to the outside so you could like walk through get a glimpse of Tom and then like go back around and I saw Tom Jones oh my god. about four times going back and forth and like oh my god it was so amazing like to just see <laughs> we were so obsessed and Izzy was like fuming she was like why are we not seeing Tom Jones this is ridiculous why are we seeing squid yeah, um, I, think, I, think, yeah. I think one of Laura's friends went to see Tom Jones that week because um a lot of her friends live in live in Leeds so I feel like part of my brain knew that that was happening but not at the same time as, as your gig obviously. honestly insane like that um he was playing the brunel it's like that would not really happen anymore because it, it was like an intimate like um album launch gig so um mm. yeah i heard his dulcet tones singing the green green grass of yeah. home my god but big people play at brunel because <gasps> it's like it's a thing uh, yeah no they do they do but like um it uh it was just mind-blowing so that was very funny and then um we went and saw squid which was really fun but like it wasn't tom jones so you know (laughs) and then i also went to big outdoor gig of new order with my dad and uh, my my sister and uh, my brother-in-law and that was really fun um so yeah it's just been nice to do like go back to gigs and stuff and then the other thing i did was i went to the football again for the first time oh nice and i'm now a certified leeds united fan um, and I went to see Leeds United at Ellen Road and it was all just so much. It was like back to football and it's Leeds and it's at Ellen Road. So why Leeds so United? So Adam, who I live with, is a massive Leeds United fan. And so basically they are the team that I have learnt the most about. I've watched them like with him since I've been living with him um, and he's got really into them. So it just makes sense. like, And it just is the team that I care about because of that. Um, and then, you know, I, I felt a bit weird about being like... You know, I feel, I feel I've always wanted a team, but you know, I'm not like of anywhere really in the UK. So, uh, but um, I was watching since I've been watching them this season. I feel like that dread um, that only a fan can feel when you're doing terribly, which is all the time. So right. <laughs> I was like, oh no, I am a fan because <laughs> I care. <laughs> And like, I feel really attached to all the players and stuff like that. So yeah, so that was really fun. So I'm just living for doing bits that we haven't been able to do. And that has, mainly Tom Jones. I'm living for Tom Jones. So uh, yeah, that is what I'm living for. So as we mentioned before at the beginning of the podcast, we are thrilled this week to be joined by Rhiannon Stiles to discuss her new book, Help, I'm Addicted, A Trans Girl's Self-Discovery and Recovery. Rhiannon is an artist, performer, and theater maker who was brought to writing when Elle asked her to write a column for them documenting her transition. The column ran from 2015 to 2017, and then, which then propelled her to write her memoir in 2017, The New Girl, A Trans Girl Tells It Like It Is. And now she's written Help I'm Addicted, which speaks to her lived experience of addiction and her road to recovery. We spoke to Rhiannon about the book, the process of writing, and other points of queer life. So please enjoy this convo. So hi, Rhiannon. Thank you for joining us today. Um, we're really, really happy to have you here on Queer Longing. It's so great to meet you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for inviting me on the show. It's lovely. Absolutely. And we wanted to, um, obviously, we um, have introduced you already, but we thought it would be a good opportunity for you to introduce yourself from your own point of view. So if you wouldn't mind doing the honours, that would be brilliant. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so my name's Rhiannon and I currently live in Berlin, but I'm originally from uh, Staffordshire. But I spent a lot of my time in uh, London before I moved to Germany. I'm an artist, a writer, a performer, and a gong player, and do really varied things actually in my life. I'm currently in Portugal on an artist residency with my art collective, and we're here for just over two weeks to work on a new theatre show together, so lots going on. My background is really um, from art and design and performance, but along the way, I've also picked up writing, And so my new book, which comes out later this month, is also my second book, actually. So I really enjoy being able to kind of like flex a lot of creative muscles. 
And being a writer is obviously you have many strings to your bow, playing the gong being one of them. We need to find out all about that. <laughs> but how did you um, come to wanting to pursue, um, how, to, how did you come to wanting to pursue writing um, as a creative endeavour? It actually came to me. It wasn't something which I had thought in advance that I would be doing. Um, but a background to how I came to writing, I suppose, is that in 2015, I got an email from uh, editor at Elle magazine, and they were looking for a person who's going through a gender transition to have a column in the magazine and start to share details about what it's like when you transition. And so when that email came through, I immediately knew that I wanted to do that because I really felt like at that point in my transition and my life, I had a lot to share. Um, and really that column was the, was the start of my writing in a, in a way which was, um, uh, has led to writing two books because it was just how I've really learned to write and share stories and share information in a way that's digestible to people. And from the column came the first book and now this book. So it's really been quite um, organic. Yeah, okay, that's great. So you speak about um, how, you know, you wrote your memoir, um, New Girl. Then you went on to write uh, your second book, which is the book we're gonna talk about, which is called Help, I'm Addicted, A Trans Girl's Self-Discovery and Recovery. So when you came to, was this book something that you always thought you would you would write or something you wanted to write about? Or was it something that you thought after your memoir, this is uh, an avenue I really want to go down and want to tell people about this part of my life? Yeah, the second, I suppose, with The New Girl, there was some things in there that I felt like I couldn't really share. A, because I was still with Elle magazine and I always felt the pressure of having to somehow present a really slick lifestyle that that didn't show my faults that didn't show kind of the things where I've messed up but actually when the new girl was winding down I finished the promotion and, and I had chance to reflect upon what I'd written about I really felt like it was clearly written between the lines that the topic of addiction and trauma and how that combines with transitioning is something that I wanted to go deeper with and explore further. So it was really just the process of having a few years between those books, which allowed me to a, have more life experience and also grow and explore these topics further. And, and then I was like, yeah, this is really something that I think people could benefit from. If I've been through this and looked at these parts of my life, surely there is lots of other people who would identify. And that was really the basis to want to start writing in this new direction and to be able to be much more personal and honest than I think I was in The New Girl. Do you think for that reason, did you find it harder to write this book or actually because you weren't sort of self-censoring in any way and you were giving a sort of no frills um, account of your life and experiences was it was it easier what was what was the process like compared to writing that you'd done before it was easier because I didn't feel like I had the um, constraints maybe as I did with the first book was published with a much bigger publisher and I think because of that I was really thinking how the narrative of that book could be so more people could relate to it on a global scale. With this book, I really had the freedom just to write what I wanted. Jessica Kingsley Publishers are really proactive in publishing um, trans authors, non-binary authors, queer authors. And I think it really gives an opportunity to say really what's going on and how you felt. And with this book, although some of the subject matter is really raw and really honest, it actually was very easy to write. And because of that, I found a lot of lightness. It's a very, the subject matter is quite heavy because it deals with trauma and abuse and addiction, but there is a lot of lightness in there also. And I really tried to have a balance where I could also like, think about these situations and experiences but bring some like humor into it if there if there could be humor or really share it in a way which um yeah didn't feel like it was such kind of reflective and dark where I think more people could kind of pick up on something to give hope essentially 
Yeah, and I think that, you know, um, from what we've been talking about, it's really built up um, an idea of what people can expect from the book. But um, to take it that one step further, you've kindly um, offered to read us um, an extract from your book. So we wondered if you wouldn't mind doing that for us. Yeah, sure. That's very nice. So I'm going to read the um, few pages from the opening and the title is called Wobble. 12th of April, 2020. I'm a firm believer in a morning routine. Daily practices help maintain my mental well-being and positivity, a tool I've learned since being in recovery. Today, however, things didn't quite go to plan. For reasons unknown to me, I skipped my morning meditation and prayer, preferring to down two cups of coffee to give me the jolt I needed to start my day. I'd also wasted an hour or two by faffing around the house. To clarify, by faffing, I mean doing things that don't aid serotonin production, manically cleaning, scrolling Instagram, and overanalyzing the color of my hair in the bathroom mirror, probably as a result of spending an hour absorbed in my social media. Over breakfast, my boyfriend and I had decided that we'd take a bike ride together and pass through a new route we discovered the week prior that we'd both enjoyed. With it being Easter Sunday and predicted to be the hottest day of the year so far, my thoughts quickly turned to what I was going to wear. I wanted to look fun and colorful. I wanted my outfit to stand out. I own an odd selection of clothes and I thought I had clothes for all types of occasions and activities. But unfortunately on this day, I couldn't find the right outfit for a bike ride in 26 degree heat on Easter Sunday. At this point, I feel you need a brief lowdown of my consumer habits. I buy what I want, not what I need. I will feverishly overspend one month and then not think about shopping the next. I can lose hours in vintage stores or markets, particularly if I'm abroad. If I have set my mind on something, I will track it down no matter what. When I'm in a purchasing frenzy, I won't pause and consider my choices. I'll always buy more. I never stop and ask myself, when will I wear these sequin trousers? Do I really need them in my wardrobe? Instead, I declare to myself something along the lines of, I will wear that when I get invited to an award show on the telly. Occasionally, I will buy a really inappropriate garment just so I can appreciate looking at it every day in my bedroom. Given the choice, I'll always lean towards flamboyant theatrical outfits, caftans, flares, catsuits, capes, feathers, and sequins. And herein lies the problem when it comes to deciding what I'm going to wear for a bike ride that involves dirt, sweat, and picnics. I ask myself, what am I going to wear? By midday on Easter Sunday, I decided that I couldn't see the contents of my wardrobe clearly enough, but I had a solution. I emptied out all the drawers from underneath my bed and frantically grabbed everything off the clothes rail in big swoops. Then I loosely piled all my clothes together and categorized them by color on top of my bed. This way I could easily see what I'd amassed and what my choices were for the afternoon's activity. It quickly dawned on me that I wasn't prepared for this. I'd already begun to well up emotionally with the anticipation of having to piece together an outfit that reflected who I was from the textile rainbow strewn across my bed. The important phrase here is who I was. Remember that because obviously my clothes serve the ultimate purpose of communicating to the world everything about me gender, class, aspirations, interests, occupation, lifestyle, religious beliefs, music tastes, food choices, and most importantly, beyond anything else, that I'm an individual. That is perfect. Thank you so much. It's such a great um, excerpt. I like that's how the book begins. Like you say, that does um, sort of pinpoint the like the lightness of how you balanced the book. So, you know, it's a bit of humor in there. The I definitely understand the thing about wanting your clothes to represent you uh, and struggling with that definitely uh, on a daily basis. So, um, yeah. And um, I wanted to say that um, obviously the book deals with uh, a lot of you know, with your addictions of various forms that you went through and your life experiences. And then of course your recovery process and um, how you uh, found the 12 step program, et cetera. Um, and I was just wondering whether you could speak a little bit to whether or not the book itself, I mean, I, I assume it probably was, 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 was and is part of your recovery process and whether in that you've 
felt that writing the book was um, cathartic or was it very painful for you to have to relive a lot of these, you know, mental states, et cetera, that you've been in? Um, and yeah, how, how was it as, as a process in terms of uh, for your recovery? Yeah, it was brilliant. I'm so glad you asked that because by the end of writing it, I wrote it over a period of about nine or 10 months. I wasn't writing con constantly, but I had moments to reflect on what I was writing. And I really felt by the end, and I actually put this in the book, it was a huge, great cathartic release to, to have this document and be like, wow, that is all the worst of me, the best of me, um, all the fear, all the hope, and it's all there. And it was really great just to be able to separate myself from that. And actually I, we, I explore this in the book and it's, it's really difficult sometimes as well to go back to some of those situations because the distance from where I am today to how that person was 10 years ago is so great. And that's really a process of the life change that I found in recovery and transitioning but it also gave me a perspective on things which I hadn't really, I think, considered so much. And one of the things I talk about is Section 28 and how I think a whole generation of queer kids grew up um, within the whole Section 28 period and how that has really inf uh, affected my life. And I think a lot of other queer people identify with that also. So it also was a way of me going, okay, like, this is not my fault. Like a lot of the stuff which has happened and the way I've dealt with things and the processes I've been through and the beliefs I had about myself being gay, queer and trans. It's just like, wow, this, this, it's actually okay to be me. But so much of my life was like trying to navigate the system of really being told that you are not okay. And so it's just been really kind of like nice to let that, let a lot of that go really just to get, put that back out into the world, I think. And I'm really excited to see what kind of comes back from that. Yeah, we, we actually had a really um, similar conversation between the two of us as we were reading the book mm. and we were talking about how, um, I mean, um, I think assuming that we're all sort of relatively the same age and we all grew up um, around the time of Section 28, as you just said, and it's aftermath. So being queer was obviously still very much a kind of taboo subject. And we wondered if you could talk a little bit about how you see the future for queer youth. And are you hopeful that things have changed and will continue to change for the better? Yeah, I think things always continue to change. And that's the beauty of life is that nothing stays the same. And I've really also had to embrace that in my own life many times. Um, recently, like where I'm in Portugal, um, my friend has a son who's 16 and I don't know what his um, sexuality or gender identity is. We've never discussed it, but he is also more aware of pronouns, of gender identities. He watches um, the TV show Sex Education, which obviously has really huge queer narratives in that. So I generally think that like what we make, what I hope what we do find is more allyship um, and less kind of division. I really hope that in the future, um, the, the gender, gender politics, identity politics are important, but I hope they don't become something which divides us further. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. um, I think every time I, I would say that it seems like the, 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 the people who are trying to be divisive are not really the youth and therefore hopefully as the youth uh, grow older, um, it will be more of a, uh, a nicer place for, for everybody. And I do think every time I speak to any LGBTQ plus youth, I feel very hopeful for like how the future will be. Um, and I think that they're, 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 they're getting it right, thank God. So um, yeah, um, I wanted to talk about, so in your book, um, there is obviously your story. And then also within each of your chapters where you speak about different elements of your addiction and then recovery, you have included lots of stories from other people um, in, in the community who have gone through similar experiences. And it makes for a really great sort of uh, community feel to the book and uh, which I assume is sort of um, to align with the fact that in order to um, you know go through your recovery, you did find this community which helped you through that. Um, so I was wondering um, what brought you to the idea of using other people's stories and um, how did you go about finding so many people who were, who were willing to, to share their, their tales? 
yeah, I'm so grateful and blessed that those eight people were willing and felt safe enough to share their stories. I think when I went into recovery in 2012, that was when I went to my first Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. And there was very little representation of trans identities in those meetings. And it was a long time before I saw um, somebody who also identified as a transgender woman. Of course, they might have been there and I, I didn't know that. But there was, it was a long time before I really felt... Um, heard and seen in those meetings and if I wasn't going to a specialist LGBTQI plus meeting it was even more rare and so I wanted this book to also reflect the fact that there is lots of trans people who've accessed 12-step recovery groups and actually like that community is thriving all around the world and particularly if you don't live in a big city because I, I started my recovery when I lived in London. If you don't live in a big city, I think it's also harder to access 12-step um, LGBTQ plus meetings. Of course, now we have Zoom since the pandemic, so it is easier. But um, without that kind of access, I really wanted the book to reflect the fact that there was more voices than just mine in recovery. And all the people I interviewed, I uh, maybe all but two, I already had a relationship with because of... I don't know, because of recovery or because of the some of the career choices or whatever. So I knew that they were already in recovery and I asked them and invited them to be a part of the project. And I'm really happy that they said yes. And then I interviewed them um, via Zoom because we we're all around the world. I interviewed them via Zoom for a couple of hours and it was wonderful just to have that connection with them and to transcribe the interview and then write it up into a first person account because I'm also aware that just because I've done recovery and I've transitioned, everyone's experience is so unique depending on the intersection of identities or whatever. So it's really important that I felt um, they were represented in the book and it, it wasn't just a kind of a white passing trans woman that there were also other identities there for people to identify with so that no one felt alienated. Obviously, as, as you've just said, we um, all agree with the power of queer community. But as you know, um, on this podcast, we sometimes discuss things that we don't agree with. And we wondered if you would tell us what it is that you don't agree with this week, Rhiannon. I don't agree with it. <laughs> it could be quite controversial because I'm a writer, but I don't agree with hardback books. Oh, interesting. Tell us more. So is, I mean, I, I, I get that. I think people, people are quite divisive on hardback, soft, paperback, not softback. I was going to call it softback. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> I, I think I like a hardback, you know, the way it looks, et cetera, but maybe not for a reading experience. Is that, is that where you're coming from on this? Please tell us more. Absolutely. I mean, I'm all for a hardback book that sits on a coffee table or on a bookshelf, which is not something that you open frequently, which has been designed really beautifully. And maybe it's a collection of your favorite photographer's photos, for example. Um, but I'm more talking about fiction or nonfiction books that I find it infuriating that you're like, oh my God, this person's releasing this book and then it comes out in hardback and then you have to wait like nine months, a year for it to come out in softback. And you're like, oh, I don't want to buy the hardback because A, I don't want to carry it around. B, it's heavier. And I think there is a, there is a place for it with special books. But generally the books that I buy, I want to be able to like transport them easily, take it out wherever I want to, not feel like it's this thing that has to be treated with much more care. And I feel like it just inhibits the reading process for me somehow. That's, that's my argument. Yeah, no, I do totally get that. I think um, I can't wait long enough for some books that I just have to get the hardback. And then I'll always take like the dust cover off and be like, oh. <laughs> like be annoyed about like and then like lose it and be like oh where's it gone and then yeah. I, I agree it's not doesn't make for a good my favorite kind of book is one that you know like flops open really satisfyingly mm. and like you can turn the pages really softly you want that good flop. yeah I want that good flop <laughs> but, <laughs> um, yeah how do you feel about hardback books Olivia <laughs> no I totally I totally get what you mean I mean there's something quite um exciting like you say about getting um 
a special hardback book that's a sort of coffee table book or something that you think that you're going to keep. But um, I, I agree with you. Books are supposed to be enjoyed and shared and shoved in a rucksack and you can't do that um, as well with, with a hardback. So yes. I, I can agree with that. I used to work with somebody who um, we would share some books, but he used to read books like, um, obviously this is an audio format, not great, but like literally just prizing the pages open because he didn't want any dents or cracks in the spine or anything. And I was like, I'm sorry, mate. Like, I just can't share books with you yeah. anymore because yeah. like, that's not how I read a book. Just, I like shove it about. Like. Just, just to share, just to share. That is exactly what I was like as a child because I had some, I had some problems. Um. That does not surprise me at all. But there, but. I am, I am a Capricorn, so um, it's, it, it stands, it stands to reason. But um, I think, I think I've done some personal growth, and now I can, I can see the benefits of um, cracking open that paperback yeah. with reckless abandon and Absolutely. sharing your books around. Well, I'm pleased because we share books all the time. So. We do, and but th- what I will say about sharing books, and I don't know what you think about this, um, Rhiannon, is when I loan out books, I do expect them back. And um, I have a very close knit group of people that I will um, share my books with. And it's based on reciprocity and it's based on the fact that I feel like I can trust them. I don't care when I get it back. Yeah. as long as I get it back at some point yeah you know what I mean yeah 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 totally. um, so totally. that that's 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 just some feelings that I have um yeah. what, do you agree I do agree I do agree I always make sure I bring your books back as soon as possible <laughs> you've got loads of mine though so yeah, I, I told you I don't mind when they come back I just want them to come back no I do agree though I have lost many a good book to uh, someone who yeah. who shouldn't have had it. So exactly, uh, yeah. <laughs> I've lost ones that are now out of print, and I'm annoyed by it. Basically, um, so that's just things that you know about me. But um, what 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 do you think, Randy? Are you are you, um, are you a generous um, book loaner? I don't know. I feel like I really have to have trust with some. If someone comes around to my house or in my apartment or whatever and says, oh, "I really want that book," I'm like, mm, I don't know. Like if I've read it, I'd be more inclined to. If I haven't read it yet, no way. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, no way. Oh, yeah, no way. Yeah, no way. That's like you'd never lend anybody like a top unless you'd want it first. Like that's just the rules. <laughs> that's the rules of clothes. No, it's the rules of things. Yeah. The rules of things. Yeah, the rules of ownership. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, yourself before you let other people have it um anyway um what's your idea agree well yeah we should we should move on um many things to not agree with uh, (laughs) in this world um right now mine is okay rihanna let me just check first do you have a dog no (laughs) okay (laughs) now i don't hate dogs so but my i don't agree with it is that i don't agree with I've, i've had a bit of experience with this the past couple of weeks people treating their dogs like they're their children so I went on holiday a couple of weeks ago to Anglesey and I had like three or four instances of, you know, when people are on holiday, they're obviously very extra as well, but um, of people just treating their dogs like actual children. So like infants. So there was one person who had a dog, which was a perfectly, you know, able dog, but in, in a pram. And I was like, mm, what? <laughs> Do we, do we need to do that? But fine, maybe there's a reason, maybe there's a reason, you know, I can kind of get on board with that. And then the very same night we went to a restaurant, which is like, quite a nice restaurant, you know, it was like very nice, like dimly lit by the like sand dunes. I was like, oh, this is very nice. And I like, turned around and at a table was a man sat cradling his dog like a child and like essentially snogging it. <laughs> like, you know, giving it little like kisses. And I was like, can can we not locked in a tender embrace in a tender embrace with this puppy I just it wasn't even a puppy it was like a really old dog but anyway I just I I like dogs but I like them the correct amount as we like to say Mm -hmm. um and the correct amount is not pretending it's a baby and being like oh I love you so much and like you're my prodigy when when you're not so that is what I don't agree with this week I just I think there are lines that should be drawn with dogs and (laughs) that's that's my line What do you think? Um, no, I, I agree with that. And I'm actually going to piggyback on your, um, I don't agree oh with it. God. I had another one, but I'm going to sack it off for another week because it made me think of something that is to do with dogs that I don't agree with, which is more to do with dog owners when they project their own issues about you not being as into their dog onto you. So like, 
so for an ex- I'll give you an example. Yes, please. Um, I was in a park not that long ago, and this happens all the time with monotonous regularity. I'm in a park, and there's quite like I, I'm not I'm not an animal person. Everybody knows this, but um, when dogs just like bound up to me and they're quite big and scary looking, I won't like scream or be you know visibly distressed by it. But I'm gonna sort of move myself away, and then I move myself away, and the dog's just chasing after me. It's leaping up at me, and I don't know this dog. Like I don't know who this dog is. Never <laughs> met this dog before in my life. Yeah, you know I. Don't I don't, I don't expect this from people like in a bar. Why would I expect it from, from your dog? So the dog's doing this. It's jumping all over me. I don't know the dog. And then I'm just sort of like this and trying to like push it yeah. away. And then the owners, and this happens all the time, come up to me, bring the dog away and go, oh, come on, Jasper. Um, she doesn't like you. Right. Yes. It's your problem. Yeah. It's nothing to do with the dog jumping yeah. up in your face. She doesn't like you. And it's like, excuse me, how would you assume to know anything, presume to know anything about me? And number two, like, you don't, that that's not the way around that it should be. That's not the way around that it should be. And you, you should not, you should not be doing that. And I don't agree with it. Yeah. No. I don't don't be, don't be putting that onto me. <laughs> I totally agree. I think dog owners have a lot to answer for, basically. But, yeah. <laughs> Who knew we were disappointed yeah. about dogs and their owners this week? But. <laughs> gone what are your feelings on dogs Rihanna do you agree with us not agreeing with it I think there's a link between both of those and I I I agree with both what you've said it's like um I think a lot of people who shouldn't own dogs own dogs and um therein lies the problem that a lot of these people can't discipline themselves and they absolutely cannot discipline their dogs and um I feel do feel a bit weird when I see my friends with their dogs and they are like letting the dogs like um kiss their mouths and stuff I don't like it um and my nan my grandma she used to let the dog drink out of her teacup and it was just too much I just found it so bad I'm not I'm not a fan of my idea of a dog is like my dream idea of a dog is that I live in a nice house that has an outside space and the dog lives outside (laughs) Totally, yeah. That's what a dog house is for. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Okay, well, yes, yeah, so we have to stop before yeah. we go too glad, far. Glad, glad we're all glad we're all on the same page there. But um, going on from the the tra- the trauma of um, dogs that are dogs and their owners doing things that we don't agree with, taking it down to um, a more relaxed state of mind, we wanted to talk to you about um, daily meditation, yoga, prayer. These are all things that come up um, in your book and things that clearly, um, you know, have, have become part of your practice through um, recovery and have helped to inform that process. Um, and it's something that you said that you take on um, each day. And then if you if you kind of miss it, that can have a real um, impact on how your day goes and how it is that how, how you're feeling. Um, and I think, you know, we were talking about um, how we've tried to do meditation before, um, but we've struggled with um, with focusing when we're trying to do that. And we were wondering if you had any particular tips on how people who are new to that might try and get into it. And if you can tell us a bit more about how um, meditation for you has been um, a powerful tool as part of recovery. Yeah, I mean, I just cannot live without meditation now. And I talk about that in the book saying, you know, you can try and live with me if I don't meditate, but I'll be an absolute nightmare because it's so, it's just so part of my daily life. And it's something that is, as it is a suggestion in 12-step recovery is to practice meditation, but that doesn't mean that you have to do it. And, and not everyone does do it who is in recovery. But I also, when I went into recovery, I also moved into a shared house and there was a person in that shared house who went to the local Buddhist center and she really inspired me because she just seemed to have, um, she just seemed to be calm and contained. And I knew that like, that meditation had those qualities. And so through my own kind of like curiosity, I felt really uh, that was something that I wanted to explore. And, and when I went to the Buddhist center, although it was a Buddhist center, it wasn't really sort of shrouded in any sort of dogmatic religion or any kind of suggested things. They literally taught you two techniques of how to meditate and have your experience. And I really enjoyed it. And it just gave me a, a, a I, I mean, it, I wouldn't even say it gives me peace of mind because 
my mind is always making up more and more and more and more stuff. And so my tips really, if you want to start practicing meditation, is just a practice. It really is a practice. It's like you just have to show up. And like I sit every morning for 20 minutes and meditate and I close my eyes and I focus on my breath. And of course, my mind goes all over the place. I, I find myself like all of a sudden stopping and being like, oh, my God, why am I already in my mind traveling to America and doing something like whatever it is? It's like I've just gone so far away from the awareness to my breath. And when I acknowledge that and think, OK, I'm there, I just bring myself back to my breath and carry on. And I actually find that if I've done that for 20 minutes, I already feel like I've accomplished so much in my day. And it just helps me, like, it almost gives me um, a buffer to continue my day. Like, the mornings for me can be very particularly, like, it's when I, my head is busy with things that can feel quite self-deprecating or judgments or ego things kind of come in. And actually, the meditation just allows me to sort of step back from that. And the only way I maintain it is by doing it. There's no, for me, there's no, there's no special trick or no way around it. I just literally have to do it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think uh, I struggle with the like continue. I'm bad at habit forming. So I think I should just continue to do it. And I guess even like the sitting with all the thoughts and allowing them to play out and pulling yourself back is all part of it, isn't it? So that's, if you're going off on tangents, that's totally fine because that is your brain going down the path of like stopping. So exactly. I mean, you can't, you can never turn your, you can't ever turn your brain off. And like, when I've, when I've led, when I've led, um, when I've led meditation, um, like I've, we've talked about, I do gong bass. When I've led meditation exercises, people say to me, oh, I just can't, I just can't not stop thinking. And I'm like, it's not about not thinking. Like you're always going to think. So I think sometimes there's kind of a bit of a, um, people expect too much and then, then, they, then they think they failed when actually you haven't failed at all. Yeah, well, that is great. Thank you for those tips. I'll definitely be, uh, tomorrow morning, I'm going to be up crack of dawn i'm just gonna try again <laughs> just keep trying <laughs> i've got time so i should um, yeah. <laughs> um you also mentioned um just just then again that um that you are quite musical and that mm. um that you uh, mentioned in the book actually that you like to bookmark your life with songs and we're, we're quite similar ourselves and we love to um, hear a song which is very evocative and takes us back to a certain place or time in in our lives and with that in mind we always do um, a track of the week every week on the podcast and we wondered if you had one um, that you would like to bring to the table this week. Mm, I do and let me just get what it, what it was called again so yeah I didn't, I didn't really get into this album when it came out. I don't know why. There was something kind of, I, just, I didn't kind of gel. It wasn't resonating with me at that point in my life. But recently, I've gone back to the Anhoney album called Hopelessness. Oh, yeah. That she, that she released in 2016. And track three is called Watch Me. And I'm really into that track because it talks about in 2016, this was really at the beginning of the Trump presidency and the end of Obama. And Anhoney's singing a lot about um, drone bombs and war and the political climate in America and globally and also climate issues. And I'm just really, I was really, I'm really, it's nice now kind of having some space away from the album, but also realizing that not a lot has changed. And Anhoney is really singing about really key key things which we're witnessing at the moment to do with um, algorithms and how social media is watching and listening to everything we do. So I'm really um, kind of enjoying uh, that album and that track particularly at the moment. Yeah, that's a great one. That's a really good. We will add that to our playlist. It's what we have mm-hmm. on Spotify, which is the Queer Longing Track of the Week playlist. Uh, mm-hmm. And we love to have guest spots in there as well. So um, you may have seen me just get slightly distracted during that that bit when you were speaking then, just because I've noticed that Olivia's Track of the Week is the same as mine. Have you? <laughs> I was wondering why you are laughing. I was like, rude, do you think I'm basic? <laughs> <laughs> I just love it. I love it when this happens. <laughs> And it happens quite often. So, I mean, Olivia, please introduce our track of the week. Okay, um, our collective track of the week as podcast girlfriends. Um, 
is um, is Meet Me at Our Spot, um, which was um, by Willow and Tyler Cole um, from a project called The Anxiety. And um, that was an album that came out, I think, a couple of months ago, maybe maybe a month ago. And I, I love Willow. I love her voice. And this, I was trying to think of um, how I was feeling when when I listened to it. And it's like, this sounds so cringe, but I can't think of any other way to describe it. Basically, her voice just like gives me a stomachache. Like <laughs> her voice is just so, oh, it just makes my like face melt off. She's just so- I get that, I get that. She's, it, she, has such a, she has such a deep, rich, amazing voice, especially for someone so young. And, I, I, and the lyrics, um, I think really speak to this, um, this idea of eternal, eternal youth. And when you're in a certain um, space and time in your sort of younger life, when you sort of, put the ideas of kind of growing up and notions of sorting yourself out to the future. And, you know, um, some of the lyrics are, when I'm older, I'll be so much stronger. I'll stay up for longer, you know, I'm, I'll sort it out. But for now, let's just be together and um, sort of ride this gravy train that we're on now <laughs> for the moment. And um, yeah, and I, I love um, I love a duet experience. Yes, so, same. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I, I appreciate that song very much. I listen to it a lot. And um, what do you think of our, this, our same track? Yeah, well, I only heard it earlier this week because I saw a live, they did like a live performance of it. Which yeah, when just, they're outside. Yeah, which yeah. is just like even better than the, the recorded track, which does happen sometimes. Um, and like, uh, yeah, Willow's voice just insane. Um, and I just loved that it was, they were called The Anxiety because I think like they're, they're very, it's very, like, that project and them all very, the song, all very, like, of the internet, if you know what I mean, mm. of the internet age. Well, it's a big TikTok song, I'm yeah, surprised. Well, of course, of course. Um, but I was just like, oh, I'm so here for it. Like, I'm, maybe I'm I'm probably a bit too old to be here for it, but, I, but I'm here for it nonetheless, and I love yeah. that. But we, um, we have some issues around Arrested Development, so it's okay. <laughs> we do. <laughs> we do. Um, so, yeah, no, great track. Um, and there we go. There we Just one joint one this week. Why not? Oh, that's great. <laughs> um, okay. So um, I guess the, the question to sort of round round this up for us is that we know a little bit more now about why you wrote the book what the situations were that led to you to write the book um but what is it that you want your readers to take from it did you have that in mind when you were writing it um could you speak a little bit more about that mm, I think it was a response to the new girl I mean you, you don't have to have read the first book to enjoy this book and I really wanted this book to be able to stand alone and also I think it's really part of a trilogy. So this is the second book of, of three that I want to write. And um, I, I just hoped I wanted people to have a reflection from the first book, but also something which is an option for people to be like, oh my God, allow people to see when things are potentially not working out for them and see it's okay that people have been there before. And I wouldn't say this is a, a self-help book or a kind of, I don't show, I don't really, I don't really tell you how to do it or how I, I share how I've done it. And I share and other people in the book share how they've done it, but it's not really like you need to do this or you need to do that. I'm not saying you need to meditate in order to be freer or whatever. It's just like, I want people to take away from this that like these life experiences do happen and as queer people lgbtq people non-binary people trans people like actually we we can we can work through this and it's a demonstration that there are there are people who've also gone through that experience too yeah that's great i mean i think i think the the book really just allows that space for people so um but you spoke there about a trilogy um and we were wondering what might be coming from you in the future so is there anything you can say about the third book that you were that you're thinking about writing or what else you're working on um yeah so the third book really i turn 40 next year and i'm just really um interested in this idea of arriving at 40 and moving into my into those years and uh, what that also means as being a trans woman approaching midlife because I don't in any way shape or form identify with being 40 it's like I I'm just not I'm just not in that I just I'm not identifying with that but I'm uh, but I'm also very excited about being 40 I'm probably happier turning 49 than I might be if I was turning 20 again but um so I really just want to kind of explore the next next few years and what that kind of means culturally and significantly for queer people who are in that age bracket. I think that's quite an interesting thing for me to look at next. 
And lastly, I guess, is there anything else that you want people to know about the book? I want people to know that they can take breaks from it if if they need to and take a time out and realize it's not something that you need to get through in one sitting and that there is it is available just to kind of reflect on some of the topics and subjects and then go back to it when you feel you need it okay great well thanks so much Rhiannon um we wondered if you could um tell us where people can find you and a chance to um kind of plug yourself or any upcoming future projects or um any other upcoming um events Yes, so you can find me at on Instagram at Rhiannon Styles, also on Twitter with the same handle at Rhiannon Styles. And the book's coming out on the 21st of October. Um, I'm doing a book launch in Berlin. There might be something online um, also. And yeah, that's it. Oh, brilliant. Well, thank, thank you, you so yeah, much you for so joining much. us. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really lovely to chat to you and also really lovely to talk about the book in this way because it's just uh, gives me an opportunity to bring it to life now that I've been sat on it for like a year. So thank you so much. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. You're so welcome. Thank you. And we're back. We hope that you enjoyed our conversation with Rhiannon. It was so great to catch up with her. And please go and check out Help, I'm Addicted. Um, As they mentioned, it's out on the 21st of October, which is tomorrow. So you'll be able to go and get your copy of the book. And we hope that you that you enjoy it. Um, So now I think we're going to we're going to shut up shop for another week, Lucy, because we need to get an early night because it's going to be 100 episodes before we know it. It is, and we need to, you know, prepare. We need to be ready for the big birthday party. So, you know, our little baby is 100 years old. So, 100 years old, 100 episodes old. So, yeah, we should probably get ourselves to bed. Yeah, and um, like we said, if you want to get in touch about anything 100 episode related, we would love to hear from you. We've um, we've had some great messages over the last couple of months with people who um, have, you know, listened to the podcast together, people who've listened to the podcast while they've um, been a bit miserable in bed with covid um loads of different nice messages about how people have been um listening along so if there's anything that you want to get in touch with us um about or that we can um, read out or feature in our 100th episode extravaganza then do get in touch with us um via all of the usual avenues so at queer longing on instagram and on twitter and you can also drop us an email um, which is queerlonging at gmail.com or you can leave us a voice note on anchor anchor.com forward slash queerlonging and we'll be back next week with our hundredth episode celebration but until that point we'll be loving you leaving you and longing for you until next week bye-bye you're never not uh, surprised by that it's just because it never used to do it so it likes it, i never never expecting it well i mean i should be expecting it by now but i'm not i'm not yet i'm not yet